This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, a historic meeting between House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and the President of Taiwan. The Chinese regime pledges a strong response to the meeting. A serious contender enters the 2024 Democratic nomination pool. One of the most powerful names in American politics files his paperwork to run for president. Over 600 sexual abuse victims. An incriminating report from the Maryland Attorney General's office points an accusing finger at the Catholic Church. The latest on the killing of Cash App founder Bob Lee. Find out what San Francisco's police chief had to say yesterday about the murder. And a new bill in California has people in an uproar. Critics are calling it state-sanctioned kidnapping. We spoke with California attorney Aaron Friday. Have you ever stared out the window of a concrete office and longed for a change? We have a story of a woman who took a leap of faith into the great outdoors. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, everyone. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Thursday, April 6th. Taiwan's president met with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy yesterday. Yes, but first let's look at the latest presidential candidate to enter the 2024 race. If he chooses to run again, President Biden is going to get some competition for the Democratic nomination from one of the most powerful names in American politics. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. filed paperwork with the Federal Election Commission yesterday. He'll be entering the 2024 presidential race. It's the 69-year-old is best known for his positions on environmental law and vaccine safety. He's opposed many policies of the current administration, particularly those related to COVID-19. Social media platforms like Instagram have censored him from speaking against the vaccines. He's been critical of Big Pharma and the CIA. He has proposed the creation of a separate oversight body to fix the agency. The Democratic candidate is the son of late Senator Robert Kennedy, who was assassinated when running for president in 1968. President John F. Kennedy was his uncle, who was assassinated in 1963. Kennedy says he will be focusing his campaign on the values Americans have in common, not on the issues that divide them. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy welcomed Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen for a historic meeting in California yesterday. The meeting took place despite threats from the Chinese regime. Here's the story. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy met with Taiwan's President Tsai Ing-wen at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California on Wednesday. McCarthy said they had a very productive discussion on ways to further the bonds between the U.S. and Taiwan. We must continue the arms sales to Taiwan and make sure such sales reach Taiwan on a very timely basis. Second, we must strengthen our economic cooperation, particularly with trade and technology. Third, we must continue to promote our shared values on the world stage. McCarthy is the most senior U.S. official to meet a Taiwanese leader on American soil since 1979. He said America's support for Taiwan will remain resolute, unwavering, and bipartisan. A reporter asked him if he's worried the meeting will escalate tensions with the Chinese regime. It's not our intention to escalate. We, we want to continue to be built and foster democracy and freedom. 
The Chinese regime claims Taiwan is part of its territory, despite having never controlled the island. Tsai mentioned her approach to Taiwan-China relations in her speech after the meeting. In a discussion with congressional leaders this morning, I reiterated Taiwan's commitment to defending the peaceful status quo. I also highlighted a belief which President Reagan champions that to preserve peace, we must be strong. A bipartisan group of congressional members took part in the meeting, including Congressman Pete Aguilar, chair of the House Democratic Caucus. I told President Tsai that the House Democrats will never abandon this relationship and will work hand in glove with the, with the Biden administration to affirm our commitment because we understand the unique role and vital role that Taiwan plays in the region. The Chinese regime has pledged a sharp response to the meeting. When then-House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan last August, the CCP responded with its largest live-fire drills in decades. So what kind of a response do we expect to see then, and what's the significance of this meeting? Let's bring in retired Colonel John Mills for more on this. He's also a senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy. Good morning, John. First, let's take a look at the context we're in at the moment. So are we in a second Cold War? And then, of course, what's the significance of this meeting in light of that? Yeah, good morning, uh, Evelyn. Uh, McCarthy is number three in the order of precedence for uh, for the country. Uh, that This is pretty significant, uh, being held at the Reagan Library, a beautiful facility, and uh, with a very powerful congressional delegation, bipartisan. It sends a strong message. And uh, along with the, the the 2023 National Defense Authorization Act that was filled with very strong statements of support for Taiwan, uh, including essentially a World War II style lend-lease program of multiple billion dollars, $10 billion, two to three billion a year uh, for uh, uh, five years. This, this will help build deterrence capacity. So uh, I think it's a strong message and along with us, uh, finalizing the agreement with the Philippines on return to basing uh, in the north of Luzon, which secures the left shoulder of uh, Taiwan. Mm. And I want to go back really quick to the discussion of whether or not this U.S. is in a Cold War with China. What, what is your stance on this? Well, clearly we're in a Cold War that is... Uh, uh, potentially going to kick off soon. Uh, the, the Chinese are attempting to build capacity to actually invade the island. They've never conducted an amphibious invasion. Uh, they have uh, been able to sneak by Taiwan and establish a foothold in Guadalcanal and the Solomon Islands, which is concerning. That's behind the second island chain of Guam, Tinian, and Saipan, American territory. Yeah, we are, we are definitely in a, uh, a cold war that is, uh, we have to be alert and vigilant to make sure it doesn't go hot. So do you think this is generally being recognized by the U.S. then, that we are in fact in a cold war? And do we see bipartisan cooperation in handling this issue? Well, we do have a very strong bipartisan support for uh, Taiwan. Uh, it was in the National Defense Authorization Act. I urge everybody to read a copy of that. The, it was just replete with strong statements of support, essentially updating the 1979 Taiwan Relations Act uh, and making it more clear that we will, uh, we will uh, defend Taiwan if China attempts an actual invasion. And uh, 
Japan and South Korea are now actively talking with each other and my liaison role with both Taiwan, uh, South Korea and Japan, getting Taiwan or excuse me, Japan and South Korea to talk to each other regularly is an important deal. And they are coordinating, sharing information, which helps secure the right shoulder of uh, Taiwan so that we can give Taiwan the backing it needs. And the, the key thing is to build deterrence capacity to prevent the Cold War from becoming hot. Mm. And um, Beijing, of course, threatening with retaliation going back to this visit. Now, I heard one analyst say this morning, though, that there may be a perception that in Beijing that they have to up the ante now to not look soft and be taken serious. So what do you think will we see as a reaction? Well, we will see a cycle of probably 50 to 100 aircraft at a time test the air defense identification zone of Taiwan. Uh, normally in the south, they, they, they really normally mass their force in the south to stay away from the north. That's where uh, Japan and America are able to project uh, a strong air support. Uh, so uh, likely a great increase, uh, missile firings, uh, sailings of warships, um, challenging the air defense identification zone and the, uh, and the uh, uh, sovereign boundary of Taiwan. Mm. Thanks a lot for all these interesting insights, retired Colonel John Mills. Thank you, Evelyn. Now, China has launched a three-day special operation in the central and northern parts of the Taiwan Strait. The operation includes on-site inspections on ships on both sides of the strait. The Fujian Maritime Safety Administration says the purpose is to ensure the safety of vessel navigation and operation. A Taiwanese maritime agency said yesterday it's lodged a strong protest with China about the move. The agency told shipping operators if they encounter such requests from China, they should refuse them and immediately notify Taiwan's Coast Guard for help. Some updates on the killing of Cash App founder Bob Lee. Police issued a statement on his murder yesterday. Lee was stabbed early Tuesday morning in the streets of San Francisco. He passed away in the hospital from his wounds. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has the latest on Lee's untimely death. San Francisco's police chief issued a statement Wednesday night on Bob Lee's murder. He expressed his condolences to Lee's loved ones and assured them officers are working tirelessly to make an arrest and bring justice. The police chief says no comments on evidence or speculation around the crime circumstances will be given, citing the investigation being in its early stages. Lee was the chief product officer of crypto tech company MobileCoin. He was the former chief technical officer of Square and co-founder of Cash App. Police say the 43-year-old was stabbed a couple of blocks away from the Bay Bridge Tuesday morning around 2 a.m. Surveillance footage captured Lee stumbling down an alley onto the sidewalk holding his side. He was seen revealing his wound to the driver of a parked car who drove off as he collapsed to the ground. First responders found Lee with two stab wounds to his chest. He was transported to a hospital where he passed away. So far, no arrests have been made. Police are asking anyone with information to reach out. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And tornadoes continue to batter parts of the central United States. At least five people were killed in Missouri when a tornado touched down overnight. The pre-dawn storm sheared off roofs, splintered trees, and took down power lines. Here are the details. Yet another deadly tornado ripped through the American Midwest on Wednesday, this time southeast of Missouri. Several people were killed in Bollinger County in the pre-dawn twister, according to officials. 
Aerial footage showed the extent of the damage, with roofs sheared off houses, trees splintered and power lines downed. Missouri Governor Mike Parson said the rural area faces, quote, a long journey ahead towards recovery and added that President Joe Biden had called to offer help. Storm spotters reported seeing the tornado touch down around 3.30 a.m. local time, according to the National Weather Service. The agency also said it was one of more than a dozen seen in the Midwest overnight. The twister struck amid a series of violent storms sweeping through the South and Midwest. On Tuesday, dramatic eyewitness video captured the moment a tornado whipped through a field in Iowa. More than 30 people were killed over the previous weekend as tornadoes tore through multiple states in the south and Midwest. And a week before that, a swarm of thunderstorms unleashed a powerful tornado that destroyed the Mississippi Delta town of Rolling Fork and killed more than two dozen people. Still to come, over 600 sexually abused children. The state of Maryland releases a staggering report on abuse by Catholic priests and others from the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Taking a 12-year-old from parents with no abuse allegations or crime, critics are calling a new California bill state-sanctioned kidnapping. That and more when we return. Welcome back. 150 Catholic priests and others from the Archdiocese of Baltimore sexually abused over 600 children. That's what a long-awaited report from the Maryland Attorney General's office revealed yesterday. The abuse spanned 80 years, and the report accuses church leaders of decades of cover-ups. It says that they did not act to protect victims or stop the abuse. Some parishes, schools, and congregations even had more than one abuser at the same time. St. Mark Parish in Catonsville had 11 abusers living and working there between 1964 and 2004. One deacon admitted to molesting over 100 children. Baltimore Archbishop William Lorry apologized to the victims. He says the report details a reprehensible time in the history of the archdiocese. Maryland passed a bill on Wednesday to end a statute of limitations on lawsuits connected to abuse. It was sent to Governor Wes Moore, who has said he supports it. Baltimore Archdiocese says it has paid over $13 million in connection with abuse. The money went to care and compensation for 301 abuse victims since the 1980s. Indiana and Idaho are taking a stance against irreversible sex change procedures on minors. The governors from those states signed bills on the matter on, into law this week. Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb signed off yesterday. The law goes into effect July 1st. It will prohibit minors from accessing medication or surgeries that change their sex. Those currently taking such medications will have to stop by the end of the year. Doctors that violate the law will be disciplined by a licensing board. Idaho Governor Brad Little signed a bill Tuesday evening that criminalizes the procedures on minors. It takes effect in January next year. The new law will make it a felony to provide hormones, puberty blockers or other sex change procedures to people under the age of 18. The ACLU is suing over the laws. And Kansas is banning transgender athletes from girls' and women's sports. Lawmakers in the state's House and Senate reached a two-thirds majority to override a veto by Governor Laura Kelly. 
The ban will apply from kindergarten to college. Kansas lawmakers are also pursuing laws to end sex change procedures for minors. That measure passed the state Senate on Tuesday. Governor Kelly is expected to veto it. State-sanctioned kidnapping. That's what critics are calling a new California bill. If passed, it would allow a therapist to take a 12-year-old child from their family and put them in a residential facility. And today's Daniel Monahan spoke with California attorney Aaron Friday. AB 448. The state's Assembly Judiciary Committee approved the bill in March. It would allow mental health counselors to commit children to residential facilities if they so request even if the child has not claimed abuse or neglect. AB 665 is a bill that is going to expand the power of mental health providers. The authors of the bill say its goal is to address recent increases in suicide among youth, particularly black and Latino youth. Friday believes the true intent is to pull LGBT kids out of homes. She says once a child is 12 in California and goes into the foster care system, they can dictate their own gender treatments. So they're creating an opening for these kids to get on puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and surgeries, which is, you know, each one of the, each gender questioning child is worth about $1.5 million to the medical community. They are lifetime medical patients. Losing their child would be just the first step for a parent's nightmare journey. And the parents then will have the Herculean task of trying to get their child back. But once the child's in the facility, how does the child get out? The parent has to fight and prove themselves to be fit parents. That's the opposite of our laws in the United States. And the 12-year-old put into such a facility could be in for a rude awakening. These facilities are underfunded. Um, the workers there get paid minimum wage. They're unlocked. They can be filled with um, other children who are violent with severe mental health issues. Friday says the fact that drug dealers and traffickers hang around such places is well known. The attorney, who is a longtime Democrat, says the rights of parents are under assault nationwide. We have been asleep at the wheel watching quietly, silently, our parental rights be eroded. Friday in the parents' rights group, Our Duty is fighting back with their own bill. And what this bill says is that schools must inform the parents if their child is taking on a gender identity that does not match their sex. The school teachers know, but the parents are left in the dark. And the attorney has testified at government hearings. This bill is state-sanctioned kidnapping. Friday has a plea for those who want to help. And I hope that everyone calls their lawmaker um, and voices their opposition to this. The bill will head to the assembly floor for a vote before moving to the Senate. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Coming up next, a young woman in Finland becomes disillusioned with her career as a chef and makes a surprising move outdoors. From art to poetry and literature, the majesty of the great outdoors has always been a source of inspiration for mankind. In our next segment, you'll hear how a young chef in Finland longed for a change, took a chance, 
and became a reindeer herder. Daniel Monahan has the story. A wide open blue sky, the sound of hoofbeats pounding on the trail, mounds of fresh snow weighing on sagging pine boughs. For Yanita, her career as a reindeer herder has brought her back to that innocent wildness of childhood. We grew up in a, in a way like a countryside, so our parents, they were not like watching us all the time. Her father was one of the first to start reindeer tours in the town of Levi in Finland. And she had always wanted to own a farm, but believing it was not the best way to make a living, Janita ended up studying tourism. She then spent nearly a decade in hospitality as a chef and as a waitress. My problem was that after a while I felt like there was no challenge and then the job itself got a bit boring. <laughs> but sometimes what you are looking for is right in front of you. So one day she decided to return to her roots, take a leap and start her own company. Janita now spends her time reindeer sledding as part of her tourism company in the magical snowy forest in Levi. A typical day starts at 7. Janita goes out to meet her reindeer with food and harness. She collects berries and makes hay for the animals. Janita says if you're a dog person, you might not like reindeer. Reindeers are like cats, so their personalities are a bit like some of them are really curious, some of them are really social don't mind to come close and then there is the kind of uh, reindeer that uh, they don't want to come close to people and they rather be by themselves it's like cats in the spring the reindeer are released back into the wild to prepare for the winter season they don't do well in captivity and need a varied diet family and friends first wondered whether the path she chose was the right one but janita says people telling her she can't do something makes her try even harder and then then it goes like to the point that you need to kind of fake it till you make it so like uh, I, i'm not always like good i i fail i fail all the time and like um but you need to be kind of uh, really stubborn and you just keep going i always say to people that i have a patient to wait for years for something to become amazing does janita have any advice for someone thinking about making their own dream come true I feel like the best way to actually learn something is, is just by doing it. Janita says you may fail many times, but those are just stepping stones on the way to mastery. Minus 35 degrees, did you catch that? And I thought New York got cold, Ooh. but it definitely looks very beautiful over there in the snow. Oh, I know, it sure does. And you know, that reindeer sledding, that looks like a blast. Yeah. I didn't know reindeer were like cats, though. <laughs> yeah, that's an awesome piece of information. I'm so happy for her that she went for it, really. Yeah, well, and you know, that log cabin construction, did you see that? It's so authentic. Yes, really indeed. Really nice, keep you nice and cozy. And you know, that job sounds really difficult. It just seems like you need a lot of tenacity, tenacity mm. to get that done. Yeah. I agree with that. And a Filipino toy maker has created a unique way to help grieving owners who have lost their pets by creating lifelike replicas of them. Let's take a look. After his pet golden retriever passed away, Filipino toy maker David Tan wanted to find a way to remember his beloved pet. I loved her dearly and she passed away in 2019. Now, since I was doing plush toys at the time, I asked my pattern maker, hey, as a way of remembering my, um, my beloved pet, can you try making a realistic clone of her? It sparked the idea of creating lifelike replicas for other pet owners who struggle to cope with similar losses. Along with his team of 20 employees, he receives local and international commissions for the pet plushies. 
Customers send details and measurements of the animal along with pictures and videos for Tan's team to use as a reference. So as you can see here, this is a picture made by, sent to us from one of our customers. And from there, our airbrusher is carefully airbrushing all the um, little markings on the pet while he's looking at the picture from the customer. So this process takes around 20-30 minutes, depending on the complexity of the um, pet. Each plushie takes about two days to make. Tan says one crucial aspect is that they are using the same fabric as is used for teddy bears. One of the things I like to say is that we're not taxidermy, so it removes that ick factor, right? Like we're not actually using the real skin of the pet. You know, this is actually 100% genuinely a stuffed toy. Tan says it's the physical aspect that helps his customers overcome the sorrow. Every time I see it, especially when I touch it, the memories flash back to me. I remember the joy I felt when he was still with us. Tan and his team receive hundreds of orders every month. Each custom-made replica costs around $65, which for many is but a small price to pay for the comfort and joy they receive in return. Cost MNS, NTD News. They look really good. Oh, I know. Yeah, what a unique art form. It is. It really is. All right, that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. Shoot us an email if you'd like. And stay tuned for NTD News at noontime today for updates and analysis on the banking crisis. That's right. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.